It's so good to be with you, and uh, let's take a moment to pray together. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thanks for the safe travel, uh, the beautiful new winter snow that reminds us of, of the beauty that you seek to pour out on us, but uh, also the, the righteousness that you seek to give us. Let's bathe in that this morning as we enjoy your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you recognize this? Recognize this picture? I mean, that one, not this one. There we go. You recognize this picture? Uh, those of you who are financially gurus would def would definitely say I, I recognize this. If you're into finances, right? This is a this is a stock chart. Uh, it, now that I told you it's a stock chart, the rest of you all probably start to get a more of a sense of what it is. It's the stock chart for which company? Next slide. GameStop. I, I don't, you probably heard the story, the big story of the week. It was pretty funny. Uh, mixed in with all of the politics and the pandemic and the aid and everything else. The, the really interesting and big story of the week was this company, GameStop. Uh, if you see down at the bottom left there, uh, GameStop stock was valid at, I don't know, something like 50 something, $55, maybe going into $60 at the beginning of this last week. And then a number of, uh, you can see it actually trails off down to the right a little bit right away in the first couple hours of the, the week. Uh, uh, that was because a few hedge funds had a bet, uh, they had shorted the stock. They had bet that the stock was going to lose value. And then somebody, and I, I don't even remember the gentleman's name anymore, got wind of this and said, well, you know, hey, I like GameStop. I don't want this to happen. Hey, buddies, friends, let's all get together and buy GameStop stock. We're going to mess up all of these massive hedge funds that are shorting the stock. And, and so that's what happens when it starts to gain value. And then this idea of buying up the GameStop stop stock went viral. Everybody said, well, hey, this is an awesome chance to kind of uh, get in on a fun thing. And, and GameStop stock shot up, uh, and the, the peak over there, the peak is like $450 or $500 per share. They got this stock to uh, to gain about 500% in one week. And they did it all outside of the major industries of, on Wall Street, all the hedge funds and everything else. They, it was people on Reddit and other social media who said, hey, man, let's get together. We're going to buy all this stock. Uh, and, and in fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of the trading company Robinhood, which provides uh, an app. You know, you can buy your own shares directly from... But it got so popular that Robinhood, the company, turned off the ability for anybody to buy more than one share of a stock. You were just not even allowed to do it. because. So it was a pretty awesome situation. Now, everybody's freaking out about this. Uh, if, you, if you even go on like CNN, you know, which it doesn't really care that much about the financial news other than what's the whole thing doing, it's still trending. The GameStop story is still trending across the top here. You can check it out. Uh, it's pretty funny. Everybody's freaking out and saying, oh, this, is, this means that the Dow Jones and the, the New York Stock Exchange is totally worthless, right? It doesn't represent the value of the businesses in America anymore, obviously, if you can fake it like this. And other people say, yeah, it totally does. It totally represents the value that Americans have in their businesses because obviously people care about the, the value of GameStop to the American economy. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done this. You know, and then other people are saying, oh, hedge funds. Hedge funds are totally worthless. Look, see. 
they're trying to tank it and they don't even know what it's actually worth. And other people say, no, hedge funds are actually valuable because they're much smarter than the average American citizen. The Americans think this, this company that rents out video games, which is so like 1990s, nobody does that anymore. Uh, they think they're really valuable, uh, and, and, but hedge funds know that it's, it's practically worthless. So it's just been this huge thing. And what I found as a, a, a valuable commentary is there's a couple of people who have said, no, what this really is, is this is another example of the elites uh, and the populists or the popular, the people here, and, and the tension that's going on in our country. It's another example of the people saying to the Wall Street elites, do you even know what you're doing anymore and what you're working for? Uh, do you have any idea what we, the average person, actually cares about? Uh, maybe you've got the value of the stock right. Maybe you don't. But who are you working for? Uh, you know, are you working for the wealthy to, to build more of their wealth, or are you working for us? That kind of a wake-up call, who are you working for, is something that I've gotten a couple of times in my life where people have said to me, you know, it's really nice that you can speak to those people over there, or you can speak to those people and address that issue. But how about us? This is, this, you know, I'm here. Can you speak to me? Uh, and I know other people who have had the same kind of wake-up call, maybe not because somebody told them, but just it, it's come upon them. They've had the question in their own minds. And I think about one gentleman I know who got kind of closer to retirement and you know, he really started asking, why am I, who am I benefiting anymore? Why am I working? You know, what am I doing here? Who am I working for? I mean, obviously I'm working for this employer, but I'm not sure if I'm working for myself anymore because I don't think I'm getting any satisfaction out of this job. I don't think I'm working for my family and friends much anymore because, well, I can pay the bills, but it doesn't really like help the family. And, and I'm not working for society much anymore because I'm not doing anything big to, to change the world. Who am I really working for anymore? Maybe you've had the same kind of questions. Uh, we've been watching Jesus get to work. He, he begins this professional work that he has as a teacher, as a Jewish rabbi. And we've gotten a couple of things from him. You know, we hear God's call is the first and the most important thing for our work. Uh, I like that the people say, you know, the, the best way to integrate your faith and your work. The, the first thing you got to start with is just to, to hear this call of God, the, the call that he places on your life. That's going to change the things from the very start. Uh, you know, the second thing we've taken a look at is that when we work with God, that's when our work is really meaningful. Uh, it's, it's when we work with him, when we partner with him, not when we've put in tons of time and effort and energy, or when we've experienced great success, neither of which is a bad thing, but it's really the, the partnership with God that brings that incredible meaning to our work. And today we want to just ask the simple question, who are we working for? Because if we're not working for the right people, we're not going to probably work very well, are we? Uh, and not just which employer. This is not a, a time to debate whether you should be working for GM or Perigo uh, or 3M or 10GAM, or any of these other big companies. It's, it's a question of, in your own life, who are, you, who are you working for? Do you know the answer to that? And this is a promise here that when you work for the right people, then you will work well. So let's get into Mark chapter 1. That's what we're taking a look at, Mark 1 here. I, I think the first thing that helps if you've got your own Bible and you're looking at Mark chapter 1 with me, you're following along there in, 
in Mark chapter 1. The first thing to remember is that the paragraph breaks and the headings in these Bibles are not inspired. They're not from God. That doesn't mean they're all bad. They often are very helpful. Uh, but, for example, if you look in Mark chapter 1 and you look at verse 20, the last thing we covered last time was that Jesus called four disciples to work with him. And then immediately after this, they go to Capernaum and Jesus begins his public work. You know, so after at becoming a public teacher, a certified, boom, you know, you've got a job, people know that you're hired public teacher, this is the first work Jesus does. That's, that's going to be a significant thing. And then the next thing about it, again, to notice is that this, well, again, the, the head paragraph breaks and the headings aren't inspired. So verse 28, the news spreads about the demon that he drove out of this man. And verse 29 tells us then, as soon as they left the synagogue. So he goes from driving out the demon out of this man to now he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Uh, and so Peter's mother-in-law, that's Simon. After Jesus renamed him, he became Peter. It's the same man, Simon or Peter. Uh, and then that very evening, verse 32 tells us, People came, all kinds of people came to Jesus. What I'm saying here is this, you talk about having a busy day. This all happened in one day. Everything between verses 21 to 34 all happened in one day. Jesus went to the synagogue. He spent a couple hours there. Then he went and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then after that, he healed hundreds of people who brought their sick and their, their, their demon possessed to him. I mean, that was a, a busy, really a busy day, wasn't it? Uh, and so there's three, now there's all kinds of things that we could learn from this section. Uh, some people notice the uh, authority that Jesus shows. He shows himself to be this person of incredible authority. Uh, other people will notice what kind of a ruler or a, a king or a public figure Jesus is. Right? He doesn't come with armies and taxation. Uh, he comes with healing. Uh, we could notice all those things. I want to just ask the simple question, who does Jesus work for? I think the first day of his work is probably a telling day to notice who's he working for? You know, who's he trying to help? Who's he trying to benefit? Who, who does he want to serve? And I, I noticed three people, or three groups right away uh, in this section, and maybe you do as well. In, in the first section, he helps this man who has a, a demon in him. He's demon-possessed. But that's not the emphasis of the story, is it? The emphasis of the story is that the people notice how much authority Jesus has. They notice who he is. So the real point in there is that Jesus is uh, an amazing figure. Jesus is a divine figure. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, the first thing I actually take away from that section is that Jesus works for himself. Not in a bad way, right? But he, he works to use the abilities and the gifts and the skills that he has. He works for his own enjoyment of the job. I, I think uh, this first little bit shows just how much Jesus actually likes being Jesus. You know, he, he's not upset that he has to go out and drive out demons. It's like, oh, hum, hum, I got to go do another day of work. You know, this is, no, this is what I'm made to do. I kind of like this job, actually. Uh, this is for me. The second group of people is, is e easier. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, and so there we could say he works for people who are relationally close to him. You know, Peter is his close disciple, mother-in-law. 
So he works for family and friends like you and I might. Uh, and then the third group of people here that he serves, he serves all of these people, verse 32, all the sick and the demon possessed from the town. The whole town gathered at the door, right? So he also serves the, the community at large or the society at large. He got three people he works for. He works for himself. He works for family and friends, uh, people relationally close to him, and he works for society at large. So that's our first point. That's the first thing we want to take away today, that good work is done well for three groups of people, for myself, for people relationally close to me, uh, for family and friends, that is, and for society at large. Simple thing, right? pretty easy to say, who, who should you be working for? But this is right where God begins to run uh, into our lives. He, he really, he runs into in our lives. It, it think, if I think about the most common answer people give to me about why they work, they say they work to pay the bills. Work to pay the bills, right? What is that? That's working for the people who are relationally close to me, for my family and friends. I'm, I'm working to pay, take care of them. Good thing. I'm glad you're doing that. But I would also say that the people who work to pay the bills, more often than not, are not satisfied with their jobs. And they're probably, they, they feel generally like they're not making much of a difference in the world. So they know how to do number two. They can work for their family and their friends, but they don't know how to work for themselves, and they don't know how to work for their community. Or here's another example. Uh, about 10 years ago, a survey was done of young people. 97% or something like that uh, said that they they wanted a job that would change the world. They wanted to have an impact on the world. Good. Good for you. The world's got a lot of problems. Go fix them. You know? uh, and that sounds great. That's something that I used to say all up until the point that I realized that I was probably breaking more things in life than I was fixing. And then I started to say, maybe I'll just set the goal at not breaking more things. If I could just not break the rest of the world, that would be a good thing. You know, I know that's kind of a lame little goal, but... Seriously, right? You start out to say, I want to fix the world, and then you end up realizing, wait a second, I'm busting a lot of stuff with my life. Maybe I'll just set the bar low at, I, I'll, I'll be happy if I don't break the rest of the world. That'd be good enough if I don't mess up everybody else's life. You know, so can we really do well at having it, serving society at large? Well, I'm not sure. Or, or the last example, I think of the, the starving artist. You know, when I was in, uh, work, in seminary, I worked in the and at an inner city school, and there was a, a woman who wanted to be an artist. That's what she was going to school for. And so she had, you know, she got tons of satisfaction and meaning out of the art that she created. A beautiful thing. And yet, she couldn't pay the bills, and, and she wasn't really having any kind of a, a meaningful impact yet uh, on her community. She wasn't serving anybody uh, outside of her community. I'm glad that she was working for herself. Great. Hopefully she could get the other two things done eventually as well. Now, you might say, Pastor, you're taking kind of a, a skeptical view of this. But look at what Jesus does on the first day of his work. And I think he really does say to us, you know, you don't work well if you can't work for yourself and for your family and friends and for society at large. If you, if you can't do all those things, you're not really getting work done well. And, and you might say, well, Pastor, isn't one of these good enough? I mean, why should I have to do all three with my work? Isn't that setting the bar awfully high? You know, it's easy to forget that in the Bible, uh, doing, doing wrong is only half of sin. You can do wrong things, and that's certainly a sin. 
but not doing the right stuff is also wrong. How's that for a confusing sentence, right? Not doing what's good is also wrong. Uh, think about the example of David. David one time breaks into Saul's camp, and he steals a spear and a jug from next to Saul's head, and then he gets out of the camp, and he says to the soldiers, um, excuse me, guys, why weren't you doing your job? You almost let your king die. He definitely calls them out for not, not doing their work. Uh, or Paul has one of the most shocking passages in, in the Bible when he speaks to slaves. He says to slaves, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Right? So don't just work for the people who are relationally close to you, like your boss when he's watching you, but also work well when he's not watching you and work well with sincerity of heart. So you've got to actually work for yourself, right? Because you're committed to the job, you're invested in the in the work that you are doing, then you have finally worked, started to work well. You see what I, I'm saying here? You, you don't just work for paying the bills or work for yourself or work for an impact in the world and call that good enough. You're not working well until you can work for yourself and for the people close to you and for the community. You've got to totally change your whole work. You've got to turn all of your work around. How do we do that? That's what the, the Lord wants to, to show to us today. That's our, our second point, though, that we want to take here, too, that we are only going to work well for ourselves and our family and our society if we're working for the Lord. And how do we how do we do this? You look at Jesus, and Jesus heals people. There's an example. Um, Jesus' idea of, of good work was not charging people taxes or bringing in armies to, to bring peace. Uh, Jesus could have done so many other things with his life. You know, he could have become the most excellent farmer there ever was. Uh, he, you know, he could have taken up shipping, but he chose to heal people. He's showing us specifically what it is to, to work well. Paul, one time, he says it a different way. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain. Why does Paul... Why does Paul say that? Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What's he trying to tell us? He, he's saying work because Jesus did not just die for your sins, because Jesus also rose for your life. That's why you, you work. Jesus rose so that at least a little bit, some of the time, with some of your effort, your work actually wins over sin and death and the devil. He, he rose so that at least sometimes your work lasts. He rose so that at least sometimes you get to do something good and right in the world. A little bit gets done. And maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for, for your family. Maybe it's for society at large. He didn't just die. He rose so that your work can actually have an impact in the world. And maybe that's just for yourself, for your friends, family, who knows, right? And I, one way I think about this 
an illustration that always strikes me is, you know, our kids, we have the standard chore chart at home. Four chores right inside the, the cabinet door. Um, we give them four little chores every day. And you think, oh, four chores, how hard that can be. I mean, you think, how many tasks do I get done a day? But some days, man, let me tell you, four chores is like pulling teeth. Now, admittedly, one of the chores is doing dishes uh, and loading and unloading the dishwasher. And in a family of seven, you know how many times we load and unload the dishwasher a day? Like 400 times. Just kidding. No, only four times. But still, four, four times is a lot. Four times is an awful lot. Uh, but, you know, you watch the, the kids, and thankfully as they get older, they're more helpful around the house uh, getting the chores done. They also realize more just how little they actually do of the work. If it wasn't for mom and dad, and let's be honest, if it wasn't really for mom, nothing would get done around the house. Uh, if it wasn't for mom saying, okay, let's go pick up the toys. Those are the toys to pick up. That's the bin that they go in. Pick up the toys now. Come on, pick up the toys. Pick up the toys again. Don't forget, you're picking up the toys right now. Stop reading the book. Come pick, you know, right? If it wasn't for mom doing all of that, and, and then mom vacuuming the floor, and then mom reorganizing the toy bins so that they actually get in the right place, the toys would never get picked up. And, and if it wasn't for mom saying, okay, let's go clean the toilets now. Here's how you clean the toilets. This is the stuff to clean the toilets. Right? Nothing would ever get done. But because, because mom does all of the work, and she's also willing to say, hey, great work cleaning out the dishwasher, right? Even though she was the one who said, go clean out the dishwasher, reorganize the dishes. You can get these five dishes still in there if you move these things around like this. And now make sure you start the dishwasher. And oh, you forgot to start the dishwasher, so go start the dishwasher again, right? Even though mom's the one saying all of those things, she still says, good job, you got the dishwasher started. Well done. She gives them credit for the work. She gives them credit for getting the, the toys picked up. Uh, she gives them the credit for, for getting the house vacuumed and, and for getting their, their rooms cleaned up. All of those things, right? They do a, a little piece of it, and, and she does most of the work, and she still says, your work counts because, because I'm doing the work for you, right? And, and this is what Jesus has said. Jesus has said, I've risen from the dead so that I can begin my work of restoring the world. I'm putting the whole world back together, and I want your work to matter just a little bit for yourself, for your friends and your family, and for society. I want your work to, to last just a little bit, and so I'm going to begin your work, and I want to invite you to work with me. And, and when you begin to look less at your own satisfaction with your job and more at the satisfaction that he has in his job, and when you look less at the the bills that you're, you're paying with your work and more at the bill that he paid, the bill of the sin and death with, with his life, when you work, look less at the impact that you're having on the world and more at the impact that he has already had on the world, then you will work well for family and friends and yourself. One example I think of this really cool one uh, is a man named John McGee. And some of you probably know the story. John McGee was an Air Force with a pilot during World War II. Uh, at the age of 18, 1940, he snuck across the border into Canada so he could sign up and join the Canadian Air Force. And he quickly rose through the ranks and became a pilot officer. He uh, got to test out then the new Spitfire airplane. As he's testing out the Spitfire airplane, uh, he's just loving this experience. And he writes a poem about the time when he gets to fly. And you can tell from 
from the poem that he wrote that he absolutely flew for himself. He wrote, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. And so not only does John want to chain or serve his society, work for his society and his community, but he wants to work for himself as well. He loves it. Uh, but John also worked for the people who were close to him. The reason we have the poem is because he sent his parents a letter about the experience and uh, he wrote the poem on the back of the letter. Now, here's the neat thing about it. Why did John do what he did? What, what drove John to work so well that he had such pleasure and such satisfaction in his work that he really wanted to, to serve the whole, uh, you know, the entire world with that work by fighting, fighting the German army and to serve his family in that way? The last lines of the poem he wrote, while with silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touched the face of God. John did not work first and foremost for himself or for friends and family or to change the world. John worked so that he could know God. So he could touch the face of the God who had worked so well for him. John worked so that he could be part of that lasting, incredible work that God had already done for the world. That was the work that John wanted to know, that John wanted to be part of, and that was the work that drove him. And, and when you and I, when we work for the Lord like that, then we will work well for ourselves, our family, friends, and, and for the community around us. Let's pray for that, huh? Lord God, thank you for the opportunities that we have to work. And we, we ask for your forgiveness because very often we don't find the satisfaction and the meaning. We don't get to be ourselves in our work, and, and we're unhappy about that. We uh, also don't work well for our friends or family. Maybe we shirk the duties that we have. And we don't care anymore about serving our, our community. We ask for the uh, forgiveness that you offer to us for these things and then ask that you would let us Follow after your work. You have gone before us with your resurrection so that our work every now and then can do something good, can matter, can last, can count. Uh, and so we pray that you would let us be part of that work. Thank you for inviting us to follow after you and let us do our work that we can to restore and heal and renew this world. We pray for our part in it through the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.